And we're back on the Bigfoot Pro Wrestling Podcast with Podcast Guy. Wow, thanks for having me, man. Be talking to some of the fans up in the, the Pacific Northwest. Your Demi got him. Yeah. Pretty good, darling. Pretty good. Yo! We're the Voros twins. They know we like PCO to the horror show. Freaking me out, man. <laughs> Freaking me out, yo. We are leaving the station. L Train, take us out. Hey, yo, this is the L Train. This is the Bigfoot Pro Wrestling Podcast, episode 176. If you can believe that, we started from nothing, became something, and uh, just keep doing it as much as we can and uh, keep this thing alive. But this week, I got a great, great, great podcast for you. But before we get to that, man, um, dude, how's things going for you? How is your week going? It was a crazy, crazy weekend, a crazy few days. The election was insane. We finally got a winner. It's over. You know, whatever side you were on, um, it is what it is. And uh, I'm going to say it. I'm glad former Vice President Joe Biden is now our president-elect. And that's all I got to say about that but uh man another crazy thing that happened this weekend <clears throat> friday night paradigm pro wrestling the uh grand prix number two uh on iwtv uh went down uh i wasn't able to watch much of that i tried to come in the other room and watch it but uh we had family stuff going on that night so i'm looking forward to it when it jumps over for the replay on iwtv and i'm uh and I heard great things about this show, great stuff, and I uh, can't wait to uh, check it out. And, uh, you know, other crazy stuff this weekend. AEW on uh, on Saturday. A great, great wrestling card. I missed the first hour because I was watching the president-elect and uh, our vice president-elect, um, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, doing their... Uh, their speeches that night and uh tuned in about nine o'clock to the pay-per-view and uh watched about two good hours of that thing you know we had uh you know sammy guerva taking on matt hardy and that uh, thing over at the compound i thought that was really really good didn't expect to see uh gangrel and um um Helmsway, uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but anyway, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, to see them, and then uh, that was a lot of fun. And then uh, the tag team championships going to um, the Young Bucks, uh, great, great match there uh, with uh, FTR, um, F the but anyway, that was a really good uh, match. And then uh, Kenny Omega and, um, you know, Paige was something else. And, uh, man, this card from top to bottom, MJF and uh, Jericho, I thought that was a really great match. You know, the, the, the championship of the world, AEW Heavyweight Championship, was phenomenal. And, uh, dude, if you didn't get that show, I would recommend uh, purchasing it. And uh, checking it out, it was really, really, really good time. And uh, I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, so that was Friday, Saturday, 
Yeah, there was a lot more to Saturday than that. Went shopping with the uh, the family and uh, just, you know, kind of chilled, uh, watched some shows and uh, watched The Great Escape movie, if you've never seen that. That's a phenomenal movie. Old school. You can get it over on Amazon for like 3 or four ninety nine. But, um, dude, and then Sunday, it was cool. The Seahawks playing a 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. game here. And I uh, tuned in for that, and uh, it was a really fun game. Can't can't complain about the game. Action packed, lots of points. Our defense, they played hard on the uh, the blitzing, but our secondary just couldn't couldn't come through, and uh, the Seahawks couldn't quite come through and uh, lost there. But hey, six and two through eight, we'll take that. I think that's just as good, if not better, than we did in our Super Bowl year. Uh, back when we beat the, uh, the Broncos and, uh, so, you know, it is what it is. Can't wait to see what the Seahawks got coming, uh, weeks to come the Rams next week. That's going to be a really, really, uh, a fun game. And I can't wait to get to that. So, uh, dude, uh, I am the ultra. Let's get to this week's podcast. You know, I could sit here and ramble on about this ramble on about that talk about this thing or that thing but let's get to matt farmer defy zone matt farmer and uh we have a great chat it's going to be part one we chat long enough there's going to be two parts so part one you know we talk about a lot of great stuff uh talk about women's wrestling in 1942 here in washington when apparently don owens tried to outlaw it listen to what matt has to say about that we talk about don owens wrestling you know throughout it and uh, matt gives us some uh some great insight to that like he always does and then uh you know we just talk about too much stuff uh you know just tune in this week part one matt farmer from defy and then next week will be part two matt farmer from defy i'm the l train and dig on this podcast we also get into the uh defy patreon they've got that going on right now a lot of good stuff on their podcast brody king was on there a couple weeks to go doing a a watch along if you go over to uh defywrestling.com they had a merch rama recently with uh each and hd ethan hd and uh and uh migs steve migs and uh those guys need their own show on this patreon account i will say but anyway uh let's get to this week's show with matt farmer i hope you enjoy it it's week uh one of uh two podcast with matt farmer so i am the l train thanks for tuning in you can follow me at b f p w podcast on twitter Check out our podcast on BigfootProWrestling.com, SoundCloud over at the uh, Pro Wrestling Only Network, and all of your favorite podcast platform. I am the L-Train, and I am leaving the station. Ladies and gentlemen, before we get to the one and only Matt Farmer, it is the four-year, four-year Four-year, four-year nacho-versary of my friends 
over at Nacho Mama's Food Truck, Chris and Sandra, NachoMamaSeattle.com. Four years of food truck, baby. Getting it done each and every week. Hitting that grind, hitting the road with the food truck itself. They've had breakdowns. They've overcome it. They've overcome everything they've had to do, and they are still serving up the best nachos on the planet, hot and fresh every single week. Let me tell you about the four-year nachoversary specials. Dungeness Crab Nachos. Fontina cheese sauce, Dungeness crab, roasted corn, pickled red onions, sweet bell peppers, and avocado crema. And then you can get a soup too, man. Sounds delicious with the with the, with the, with the with the way the weather is going. Fresh pea soup with Dungeness crab, avocado crema, and a carrot vinaigrette. And then, gentlemen. If your lady doesn't really like to go to these breweries, she's not into the brews, tell her about this. Chocolate stout cake. Rich, dark chocolate cake made with imperial stout. Imperial stout. I'll say it again. Imperial stout. That's amazing. Topped with dark chocolate ganache, frosting, and... uh, Birthday sprinkles, man. If it's uh, if it's your lady's birthday, if it's your dude's birthday, go over there this weekend. Get that chocolate stout cake. It's got birthday sprinkles. What are we? Let me tell you where they're going to be at. <clears throat> Wednesday, November eleventh, Black Raven Brewing in Redmond from four to seven. Thursday, November twelfth, Optimism Brewing on Capitol Hill from five to nine p.m. Friday, November 13th, Carn Brewing in Kenmore, 4 to 8 p.m. Saturday, you might see the L-Train and Mrs. Clams there. Saturday, November 14th, No Boat Brewing in Snoqualmie, 12 to 8 p.m. And then Sunday, Ridgecrest Public House and the Drumlin in Shoreline, 5 to 8 p.m. NachoMamaSeattle.com, check out their entire menu, where they're going to be from weeks to come, and then uh, at Nacho Mamas SCA on Twitter, at Nacho Mamas Seattle on Facebook and Instagram, hashtag the best nachos on the planet, hashtag Nacho Mamas Seattle, hashtag nachos and beer. Hey, this is the L-Train uh, Bigfoot Pro Wrestling Podcast, episode 176. I can't believe it. It's been a long time since I talked to this guy last on the podcast. Uh, but, man, uh, let me introduce you to uh, Defy's own Mr. Matt Farmer. How you doing, sir? I am doing great. It's good to be back, Lyle. Uh, it's been a long time. You told me right before we came on the air that it's been three years or, <laughs> or over three years now. Jeez. So, yeah, yeah great to be back. Yeah, I think the last time, I think I wrote it down here somewhere on some other notes, you know, uh, August 2017 was the last time. I think you're on episode number 21. We're up to 176. So, you know, thanks be, thanks to you guys like you and Jim and, and Migs and a whole lot of guys back then and women uh, helped put my podcast over and we're still going today. So thank you so much, Matt. 
Oh, you're very welcome. Very welcome. <laughs> so, man, how's, how's it going here on this uh, Thursday night? You know, everyone's chilling. Everyone's tuned into the TV to see what's going to happen. You know, most peeps are wondering like everyone else. Who's going to win between the... On? What was that? What's going on on TV? What's going on, what's uh, you going know, on right now? It's the Packers and 49ers tonight, man. Who's going to win that big matchup? What do you think, Matt? <laughs> ah, gee, you know, to be, to be completely honest with you, today is my day off, and I've actually had like a few weeks worth of work where I was working a lot of hours. And so today I went to Costco and then the rest of the day I've been like doing nothing. Like I, it was like today was my designated designated day to like do nothing. Well, that's, except talk to you, of course. Well, I appreciate you giving me the time, but uh, that sounds like a fine day to me. I mean, those, those are some yeah. of my favorite days where you can just like, I got no plan. I ain't got to go to work yeah. and just chill out and just uh, do whatever you want. Yeah, so I haven't even been watching television today for the most part. I've been working on a couple projects, like wrestling-related projects that I've been working on. And that's all that I've been doing. What, uh, can you uh, mention any of those wrestling-related projects? Or does this, you know, got to keep it kayfabe? Um, no, not at all. They, they're, they're nothing to do with local wrestling. Um, in my spare time, I, I do other book projects and things like that. Like, for instance... Um, Next year, we've got a, uh, through Mask Republic, we have a cookbook, a Lucha-inspired cookbook that will be uh, being released, I believe, June of next year. And that's been a lot of fun. And there's some other book projects that I'm working on. So, yeah, that's what I've, I kind of doodle on every now and then. So so you, like, do the, yeah. the, the, the writing, or is it, like, people are trying to get your yeah. input for their kind of books, or, you know, explain oh. that a little? Well, um, I, I have a lot of authors also hit me up for my like historical knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of projects will surround, um, working with them to like, like if they have a question on a historical in issue or, you know, something like that, I'll, I'll work with them on it. Man, that sounds like a lot of fun though. That's gotta be fun for you when people yeah. reach out to you. Hey, what are your thoughts on this thing in, you know, 19, whatever at this certain thing? That's, does it like really yeah. make you feel good? Hey, you know, people reach out to me, you know, it, it's gotta be great. It, it, it's a lot of fun. You know, the, to be honest, there's not a lot of historians, <clears throat> uh, wrestling historians in the world. <laughs> so it, you know, those of us that I, I guess are deemed that, um, there, there's a lot of information around out there and, um, Whenever like a major wrestler dies, for instance, I'm usually hit up to help with the obituaries or things like that, you know. <laughs> so that's that that could be fun at times. Um, a lot of the projects that I'm working on right now are like Lucha Libre inspired projects, um, like book projects and things like that. So <laughs> it's a lot of fun. So you know, we're talking about you know wrestling historians like alive today. Who is the biggest? wrestling historian or biggest couple wrestling historians in your opinion um geez that's really hard to say <laughs> it, it it would be it's kind of hard to say because a lot of historians <clears throat> they have like specific regions or territories or time periods that they're like they really excel at mm -hmm. um one of my favorite is steve yo he does a lot of book projects um excellent excellent historian of course dave melcher is a historian as well um, uh, Phil Lyons, um, he handles like a lot of like European, uh, you know, it's crazy because I'm going to be 
uh, uh, you know, Tim Hornbaker. There's a, so many guys out there that are great. Uh, it's just I know I'll skip a few if I <laughs> name them, try to name them all, you know. Well, yeah, that's pretty much impossible. It's like, you know, naming your, you know, top five or ten wrestlers. Like, there's always going to be some people you don't remember and leave out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's, I would say there's probably a core of about 40 to 50 guys from around the globe that are really, really serious about the history of wrestling. And they could, you know, recollect things that took place in the 1800s. And they've got like a vast knowledge of wrestling history, you know, that encapsulates the, like the entire world, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, a lot, a lot of people don't realize that like, not only is wrestling big in the United States, but there were periods of time where like nearly every single country in the world had a major pro wrestling scene, you know, and, uh, a thriving wrestling scene, you know, I'm talking about even like third world countries and things like that. Hmm. Man, I was reading a, a book just not long ago on my Kindle. One, something I think you recommended back in the day, it was like the death of the territories. I think about two yeah. thirds through that, uh, that was, uh, oh God, I think you just said his name. Tim Hornbaker. Thank you yes. very much. Thank you very much. And, and I'm yeah. enjoying that so much. You know, he mentions like all the stuff in there, stuff I never knew about, you know. And so I'm really much, uh, very much enjoying that book. Yeah. And actually he's, uh, you know, I just was chatting with him the other day because he's working on a new project about the life and times of nature boy, Buddy Rogers. <laughs> so that'll be a really interesting project because that's one of those in- influential wrestlers that, there he's far more influential than people realize he actually was, you know? Um, so I, like there are things that he, he did that he, I wouldn't say he invented, but he popularized that's still being done today in the ring, you know? So, yeah, uh, he's, he's one of those guys that really should be like, you know, it, you know, it's kind of a joke when people bring up like the Mount Rushmore and you hear like <laughs> current guys and it's like, wait a second, these guys, really didn't do anything compared to some of these world leaders, you know, uh, of wrestling. Oh man. Yeah. Somebody from today might have a different, uh, Mount Rushmore than me or you or someone even, you know, 20, 30 yeah. years before us, maybe, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. How old definitely. is professional wrestling, man? When was the first pro wrestling match? Do you even know? No. And, and it's something that I don't think anybody knows. Um, I, I would guesstimate that the first pro wrestling match where somebody was paid to wrestle um, would probably date back to the gladiator days. Even wrestling where it was quote-unquote worked would probably date back that far. I remember a conversation that I had with Luthez, and I'm not trying to name drop him because he's like one of the greatest of all time. Um, but you know that was his assumption too, is that there were times during the gladiator days when there was worked pro wrestling because what the the gladiators would do is they would work a fight to put someone over to impress say um a king or a pharaoh or a, you know whoever they were fighting for in order to either stay alive or to gain wealth you know that's very likely that that happened mm, mm, mm. Man, you were talking about Luthez, man. I was also on this uh, Wikipedia thing here. It looks like, you know, in, uh, God, what year was this? 1961? It was Luthez mm-hmm. and Gene Kaninsky? 
That was September 17th, 1966. 66. I'm sorry. I didn't read the full yeah. sentence here. I kind of got cut off by my mic. Thank you very much for correcting me on that one. <laughs> but yeah. man, that, that's <laughs> yeah. insane. Like at the Seattle Center Coliseum, this, that's the same place where the, the Sonic, it was just Key Arena right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's incredible stuff. I wish I'd have been around for that kind of stuff. I mean, I was there for that kind of mid-80s stuff, but, man, I couldn't imagine a, a blockbuster yeah, thing. Yeah, you know, they, they sold out the, the key arena there, and, you know, you're talking 1966, and there was a string there of a three or four years there where they were running that building regularly, and they were drawing, you know, 11, 12, 13,000 fans. Um, as a matter of fact, just a few months ago, I posted a picture on my Twitter account that had Don Leo Jonathan wrestling Gene Kaninsky at the Coliseum. And they drew like, it was like around 12,000 fans or so, you know, for, you know, it was a big show, but it was nothing like out of the ordinary. So that that's something that also surprises a lot of people when I talk to them about local wrestling and just how much local wrestling there was in the Pacific Northwest, you know, at that time, the promotion that was selling out the, the the Coliseum, they were running every single week in Seattle, at least once a week, sometimes twice. And then they were running seven days a week in other cities around the Northwest, you know? Yes. So it, it's just, it's amazing how much wrestling there was in the Northwest in that era. Oh, that's, that's insane. That's you know, insane. stuff only runs, you know, a few days, you know, Thursday maybe but Friday, Saturday, Sunday now, but back then they're yeah. traveling, you know, like they said, you know, seven days a week, stopping in Vancouver, you know, all those other places. Well, and, there was at a time in the sixties, fifties and sixties, and even part of the seventies, there were as many as four different promotions running the Pacific Northwest and each four of those promotions were running seven nights a week. And, mm, mm, mm. uh, you know, from Vancouver to Idaho, to Washington, to Oregon, to, um, you know, even parts of Montana, there was, you know, four or more shows because some of these promotions would run two shows a night. Um, you know, so in any given week, you could look at, you know, 20, 25 live events in the Northwest every single week. I couldn't you even know? imagine that when I was a kid, my mom would have just been like, what, you know, your uncle's yeah. going to crazy uncle's going to take you to all these things. <laughs> what, what city did you grow up in? Uh, Seattle. So every other, uh, oh, okay. Wednesday night at the, uh, yeah. the arena, Seattle Santa arena back then, Mercer arena, you know, I couldn't go every, cause I was a kid, you know, but my uncle would try to talk my mom into taking me off in it as often as I could, you know, or as often yeah. as he could get me out of there, you know, and it was fun. Cause I saw a lot of cool stuff like a Christmas Eve thing. We might've talked about it the first time where it was Billy Jack and uh rip loser leaves town in a cage. And then oh, yeah. it was probably dynamite and the assassin against Kurt and buddy, maybe for the tag belts that night. I, I, I can't remember for sure, but man, it was those kind of, that kind of time. And, uh, and watching it on Saturday was just like, Man, you know, it was like that and WTBS, but uh, yeah, nothing was better than being at that uh, arena on those Wednesday nights. I had so much fun. You know, and what's crazy about it is like they were like, you know, it's the proverbial the ring, a couple lights above the ring, and then a darkened arena. You know, and then you're sitting there with a few thousand fans, and <laughs> there's blood and 
you know, it, it's really it was really aggressive. You think that these guys were, who are wrestling seven nights a week would take it easy on these shows, but man, they're like working their butts off. They're bleeding, you know, and it's pretty amazing. I I used to attend a lot of spot shows in Tacoma, um, which were monthly at the time. And then occasionally I'd get to go to like Seattle or whatever, wherever, you know, for shows too. Um, But some of those matches, like when I look back at them and I think back on them were just phenomenal for what they were doing, you know, and, it's it's pretty interesting that the guys were that motivated to wrestle that hard every night of the week. It, it, it that is that's incredible because you'd you'd watch them on the Saturday Portland show, you know, you know from the uh, the Portland uh, Sports Arena, you yeah. know, and they'd beat the snot out of each other in that main event. You know, you only got to see an hour of that show or whatever. You know, there might be. All the matches were pretty good, but there might be like a match in the beginning, you know, kind of who's going to take it. And But then they always had yeah. that two out of three main event or just a bloody main event, like a guy like Hacksaw, yeah. Brett Sawyer, just be busted open or Buddy Rose, you know, or even Kurt Henning, you know, just so much. But then you'd go on Wednesday night. And yeah. And if they do the same thing, if not a lot more, and you knew, like you said, they're going to be somewhere else the next night. Yeah, Exactly. You know, like Tacoma, they were there every, you know, when they ran Tacoma, it was a Sunday night. And Monday, they were like in Longview or Yakima. Tuesday, they were either back in Portland or a spot show in like Medford, you know. And then Seattle, they were there, you know, every other Wednesday. And then they were in Salem, then Eugene, then Portland. You know, it was an ever, you know, every single night almost of the week. It's funny, you know, like um, Brian Cook, who, you know, wrestles for Defy and wrestles for a lot of different promotions around the country, uh, around the Northwest. I, I was talking to him and I was showing him a schedule from, and this schedule was from 1987 of the wrestlers from Portland. Um, what they're, what, you know, the nights that they were working and the month that I showed him, I believe it was May. So it had 31 days in it. And the schedule that I showed him was for uh, Dave Sierra, who was in the territory as um, as the assassin. He did not get one night off that entire month, and most of that most of that night uh, or most of that month, he was wrestling in like a street fight or like a bull rope match or something like that. So, you know, he was bleeding a lot and, you know, no days off that entire month and you're in a different, different city, you know, a lot of driving and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, that was the life of a pro wrestler back then. When did they heal? Never? No, you, you really didn't, you know, you, you really didn't heal, but you know, that, 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 those guys were a lot because they were doing it so frequently, they became a lot more proficient in, t- in protecting themselves too. And of course the styles were different back then too. And, um, uh, so, you know, it, there was some things that were a bit different, but also the, I mean, to be honest, your body starts getting more adjusted to it. The more frequently you do it, you know, well, um, I, not to interrupt you. Real I mean, quick. sorry to interrupt you real re- quick, but, did you do you hear listen to Migs every morning? BJ and Migs they were talking about Russell Wilson this morning. I think it was yeah how he spends a yeah. million bucks 
to keep a year, excuse me, million bucks a year to keep his body going. All these different cooks and physical yeah. therapists and whatever he might be. And he plays one day a week and gets hit. Yeah. Your wrestlers are on the road. They're driving themselves around, picking up, you know, McDonald's and stuff on the road. It's like, my God, how did these guys do this? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a different lifestyle for sure. And, you know, in, uh, in different eras, you know, you would wrestle your match. You, a lot of times you wouldn't stop off at McDonald's because you would stop up because they weren't open, hmm. you know. Or, or whatever, or you, you know, it, it, 20, 30 years ago, there wasn't as many fast food restaurants sitting around, you know? Right. So you stopped off at the gas station or whatever, and you <laughs> picked you picked yourself up some beer and you hit the road because you wanted to get home right away, oh, you know, man. and to get to sleep. And that's how it was. <laughs> you know, it was a different lifestyle. You didn't want to spend any extra money that you, that you had, you know? So... You either went out and went drinking or you got in your car and went to the next, or you went to the next town, you know, or you went home. Gotcha. That's what it was like. Gotcha. 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 You know, pick up that beer. Is there usually someone else riding with you or back then it was just like, maybe, you know, it oh, was yeah. so close you, around you, here. You, maybe you went by yourself. I don't know. No, you would, it, back then you would always carpool because you would split trans and that would save you some money on the road. And. You know, usually you'd spl split the trans and, or you would, they would do the thing where it was three cents a mile and, um, <laughs> that's how you did it. You know, well, you, you gotta remember if you're driving every single day, you become very experienced in, in terms of driving and being on the road and living on the road. And it's like, it's a different system. It's a different business th then than it is now. You know, I mean, you lived in your car for the most part, you know, even in, you know, short trips for a couple hours. So, you know, you're putting a lot of time and miles in the, in the car. And so you just become accustomed to it. And did the folks here in the Pacific Northwest have it a little easier than other people in other territories? Cause I've heard like, you know, down South, some of those territories, you know, maybe the funks territories, you were driving a whole lot longer than other people. Yeah. Is that true? Very much so. Very much so. And you know, in the Northwest, one of the things why people like to, to work out here is because you were home, you know, 90% of the time. Unless, you know, there, there were some towns that would be far away. Like, it, a lot of the wrestlers would live in the Vancouver, Portland area because that was central. And most of your bookings were in that area. You know, at least three, of, three bookings a, a week were in that Portland vicinity. But then you would have your you know, dates where you'd hit Spokane or Idaho or Northern Washington or Southern California or S Southern Oregon, which were longer, you know, six hour drive. So you, you might find yourself getting a hotel room mm -hmm. those nights, but most nights you were able to sleep in your own bed, which is nice, you know? Mm. Yeah. That's gotta be a lot nicer than hitting those hotel room beds or, you know, sleeping in your car at a rest stop or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if you lived in the Portland, Vancouver area, there's at least two, three nights a week where you're home within 20, 30 minutes mm. of the end of the show, you know? So that's nice. That's nice. How, how far North did they go? Did they go into Canada? No, they went to Bellingham. 
there were times when they had like working agreements with promotions. And so some of the wrestlers would work in, in Canada, mm-hmm. but that was pretty rare. I know that there were times like in the eight, early 80s when they were working up in Vancouver area. And a lot of times what they would do is they would take a little, uh, little Cessna from Portland to Blaine or to, you know, Bellingham and then get a car up. Get a what? Oh, like get a ride or something. Oh, I got you. Get you to ride up. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Hey, Len, let's, uh, let's switch up here. I could pick your brain about Pacific Northwest stuff all night. And I'm still going to ask you some Pacific Northwest stuff right now. I got to talk recently to a good friend of yours. His name's Craig at proper jams on Twitter, man. We talked a whole bunch of wrestling and we talked a whole bunch of music and mostly Pearl Jam, by the way, because that's my favorite band. It's his favorite band. We did, I did two episodes with this guy and, uh, he used to run the streets with you. It sounds like man, uh, tell us a little bit about wrestling with your buddy, Craig, uh, any good stories there? How did it start? What's up with that? Yeah. Craig's a good friend. You know, we've been friends for well over, man, well over 20 years now. I think back about it. Jeez. Nice. Um, yeah, we, we met through wrestling. Um, man, I can't even, I think we met each other through, through tape trading, you know, back in the, back in the day, if you were like a hardcore fan, you know, you didn't have the internet, so you had to get all your matches and special rare stuff through tape trading. And I think that's how we met. (laughs) There's, there's kids today that won't even know what the hell you're talking about. What do you mean? No internet. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Exactly. So it's like Craig (laughs) was, Craig was friends with, I, I don't even remember who Craig, how we met Craig exactly, but like I had a group of friends and um, we also met Brian Alvarez through the same circles. Um, we, you'd just go to shows, you'd meet people or you'd have newsletters or tape trading like newsletters and you would just meet these people and we would go to shows and things like that. And I got into wrestling as far as wrestling myself in the early nineties. And I would see these guys at shows or meet them at other shows and you just start, you know, getting to know each other. And that's pretty much how it went. And then four or five years later, I think it was, um, Craig and Brian Alvarez started wrestling also. And so we, you know, we, we, we started doing like, I remember I helped those guys get booked up in Canada, for instance. And so like <laughs> their first road trip, I was with them. And so you, you just started riding with each other and get to know each other and, and we've just been friends ever since. So, you know, it's been a lot of fun. Both Craig and Brian are good guys. And, <laughs> oh, man, there's, you know, there have been some fun road stories and things like that, which is a lot of, you know, it's crazy. Well, I think Craig was just even saying, like, he didn't really even, like, have any training. It was like he sh- was talking to yeah. Brian, came to a show, who was ever promoting that show. If, if I'm remembering this right, said, where's your gear? And I think he said he didn't have any gear, so the next time he showed up and whatever happened from there. I, I don't remember, but man, that sounds like some crazy stories back then. Yeah. Well, I do remember their first match, um, with Brian and Cra- Brian and Craig and it was horrible, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, but to be honest back then, a lot of people's first matches were horrible because there was no, the, the school training schools back then were different than the training schools. Now they just taught you enough to 
get by. Um, they didn't train you to be like competent pro wrestlers. They just trained you in the very basic fundamentals. And then you had to learn the rest on your own on the road. Mm. And that's how it was. was. Even the infamous like Vern Gagne camps and things like that. Those guys, <laughs> I mean, I know people that have graduated like the Vern Gagne camps and they weren't even smartened up to the business until the day their first match. So <laughs> do those camps back then? I'm sorry. You were literally, oh, you were just literally trained in basic fundamentals and then thrown <laughs> to the wolves. Oh, man. So that's insane. So these people basically took your money, showed you a little bit, and then just sent you out there, and then you had to get your own bookings, or did they even get you help with a booking? Um, Yeah, they would They would sometimes help you get booked, for sure. Um, And then you built a reputation. Like myself and my friends, what we would do is, we got trained and then we just went to every single show, you know, we went to every show, um, that we possibly could get to. We would drive up to Canada to shows that we weren't booked on with our gear, offer to help out, set up or whatever. And then you get booked that way. And that's how you start picking up bookings. You know, you make yourself available. So, and th that's how it was, you know, it's just, you know, um, and then, one day you're getting booked once uh, every, you know, month or so. And then the next, you know, a month later you're working five nights a week. Oh, man. So that's how it goes. Just kind of, you get there here and there, word of mouth. And then suddenly yep, you're just, word it of just kind of kicks and in. Lots of phone calls. You know, you, this is another thing a lot of young, young people will not think about, but back then your long distance phone calls are pretty damn high because you'd call oh, to Canada shit, yeah. or Oregon or wherever, you know, and all those calls were long distance. <laughs> so, you know, and when you got booked, you were like, Hey, you're booked in Squamish, British Columbia. Well, where the hell is Squamish, British Columbia? All you have is a map. <laughs> you know, that's how you get there. Right. You get a, you get a Thomas guide or a map and that's, that's how you get to the building, you know? Man, I didn't even really think about the phone calls until you mentioned that. That's a little thing that I didn't even think about at all. Like phone yeah. calls used to be so much money if you're calling like, you know, international or just like you're talking to someone for a long time on a long distance call. That's big dough. It really is. Yeah. And it's something that I used to do even through wrestling, either as a wrestler myself or like when I was getting into like wrestling history and like the history and stuff like that, I would make these phone calls to different wrestlers or wrestling personalities or other historians. And also a lot of handwritten letters, you know, um, that was very common back then. That's how you talk to a lot of promoters was sending them a letter, you know, like everyone in the Northwest knows Michelle star. <laughs> I remember back in the early nineties before I started training, writing him a letter because he had a wrestling school. And I remember, I think I still have his replies, you know, <laughs> that he sent, wrote back, wrote to me and sent back, you know? So that was how you communicated back then by with sending letters to people. So, you know, doing what you do now with the Fi, you know, you and Jim kind of headed up over there. If you were giving someone advice right now that wanted to contact you or other places that they want to wrestle. What do you want yeah. to, what do you want to see? What do you want to see them send over? I want to see a little bit of your history, where you're from, um, 
who you've trained with, your experience levels, but I also want to see your matches, and I, I don't want to see highlights. <laughs> I want to see full matches because it's easy to look in, in a highlight video, or and I see a lot of people send these music videos and things like that, and I, I don't even really watch them because all they do is show you doing moves. And I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, everybody could do moves, but I want to see you wrestle. I want to see if you've got some like meat and potatoes to you, you know, um, your fundamentals are good. Um, and then just be consistent, you know, consistently reach out to people and do it respectfully. And, uh, you know, don't waste people's times. Don't hit up people like, I see some people that hit up promoters far too much, you know, like they do it like every other day or so. And that's just too much. Um, but when you send in your information, do it respectfully, have a good, um, you know, send professional looking photos, have a good video, um, Good layouts, you know, and of course, word of mouth also is a major thing too. <clears throat> Sorry, I got a little ahead of myself there. Let me just jump back to uh, Mr. Craig Proper Jam real quick, man. Uh, dude, uh, yeah. you know who who wins? Uh, Matt Farmer and uh, jumps in there with Craig Proper Jam, man. Uh, who's going over in this thing? Um, boy, I you know, I Craig and I wrestled probably. <laughs> I don't know, a couple dozen times in singles matches, I would assume. All, o all over the Northwest, too. Like, little little crappy towns in B.C. and all over Washington and little high schools and stuff. I, and um, I, would I would probably win more of them than he would. <laughs> just because at the time, I was experienced and he wasn't. But I also seem to think that we had some DQs and stuff like that. One of the funny things that we always joke about is one of the promotions we worked for, the promoter, I don't know, he he probably he didn't know a lot about wrestling, let's put it that way. And he would always, like, when he would advertise your matches, he would always put these goofy subtitles underneath your matches to promote the match. And he would always promote our matches as the mean guy match. What? Yeah, that was a <laughs> subtitle. You know, instead of like grudge match or heavyweight championship match or, you know, sp spectacular or whatever. He'd put mean guy match because we were both bad guys at the time. There's a million and, other things you can put in there. A mean guys, I've never heard that on anything yeah. I've ever watched. So... Craig and I will often joke joke with each other about that, but you know, <laughs> yeah. So we would always have our mean guy matches. <laughs> Which, but uh, yeah, he you know it was it was a lot of fun wrestling Craig. It was a weird time because, um, there was there there was a thing with a lot of older wrestlers, and it was something that I started getting into a lot where you didn't want to discuss a lot what you were doing in the ring beforehand and so you'd go out there and wing it mm. or you'd go out there and call the matches and things like that during that period of time i was really into that and so it was fun to just go out there and kind of like feel out the situation and, and just improv the entire match so <laughs> that was a lot of fun um craig was really inexperienced even more so than i was 
Um, but it was still fun because, you know, we're young and dumb and didn't really care. <laughs> so did, uh, since you were maybe slightly more experienced, were you the one uh, calling the match from? Oh, def- definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd call the match. Craig would call the directions on how to get home. And it was always like the longest route possible. <laughs> so you guys get in there beat the shit out of yeah. each other or whatever, you know, and then yes. you got and got in the car together. A lot of times. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did a lot. Actually. It was like myself, myself, Craig, um, my buddy, Nick and Brian Alvarez. We did a lot of road trips with each other. And if Brian was driving, that was really scary because he was blind as a bat. Oh, God. If Craig was driving, he wanted to take, the longest route possible, his shortcuts to get home, which always included not taking the interstate. Um, and then Nick and I, we didn't drive cause we wanted to drink. And also we were the vets. So those two guys had to drive, uh, but go. no, it was always a lot of fun. You know, we always, uh, it was one of those situations where you actually had more fun in the car than you did in the show, <laughs> you know, and a lot of times, a lot of, a lot of times in wrestling, those are like the experiences you remember the most or like the road trips. I bet that's a lot oh. of fun, man, because you're telling probably stories of, you know, whatever you've done, getting to know each oh, other yeah. like brothers. You know, you, it is what it is back then, right? You're cracking some beers, yeah. you know, you're having a good time and just enjoying each other and getting that experience and living life. Yeah, the whole time you're laughing because you're pulling pranks on each other or you're joking <laughs> with each other or you're making fun of each other, you know, and it's, it's a, man, it's a lot of fun. And, and it's really interesting is like some of my light lifelong best friends that I've ever met, I've met through wrestling and I've shared a lot of time with them in cars that way, <laughs> you know, like some of my tag team partners that I have long-term tag team partners with, we've slept a lot in the same bed together, you know? Mm. Because you're sharing hotels and things like that. And it's like, you know, these people so well, it's crazy. <laughs> Do you think the, uh, the wrestlers of today miss a little bit of that car riot action? I mean, I know you still get some of it on Friday, Saturdays and Sundays, but it seems like there's a lot more flying around other than your local talent these days. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the guys still get it. You know, the men and women, they still get those long car rides and it doesn't have to be every night, you know? Um, but you, you get them, you get to share them. I know if you're wrestling two, three times a weekend, you're getting a, enough of that to have, to make some great experiences. <laughs> the guys, the, the men and women today, man, what a great time to be wrestlers. I mean, I'm not talking about the COVID era, right? but I'm, I'm talking about the era before that because they do have so many opportunities to get out there on the road or on the planes. It's so easy to get booked nowadays nationally you know it's so easy so much easier today to get your name out there to make those contacts i mean through i mean just facebook alone facebook messenger or whatsapp or cell phones make communicating with a promoter across the country so easy you know um so like if you're really dedicated and you want to get out there and wrestle and and really make a go at it. No, no, no other time in wrestling history is it better than it is right now to get out there and get your name known. Hmm. 
Well, there's a guy like, uh, for instance, you know, I'm going to talk a little later about some guys that have moved around uh, since they've appeared at Defy, but uh, a guy like Sonico, yeah. the evolution of Sonico, man. Like, he's mm-hmm. been jumping around at a lot of different, uh, you know, indie uh, wrestling promotions around the nation lately, man. And, you know, he's come up through, you know, Lucha here and uh, spent plenty of uh, nights at Defy at Washington Hall and Tacoma and the other places, man. And, uh, man, he, he, he just keeps getting bigger. He keeps getting better, and he's is just doing it. Yeah, you know, and a guy like Sonico, you know, it's COVID has hit him harder than almost anybody in the Northwest because he had a lot of really great opportunities coming up this summer. You know, this past summer, um, not only like WrestleMania weekend, which was going to be great, he was debuting with Progress Wrestling in Tampa. You know, and he was also booked to go to England for Progress Wrestling, which is huge. You know, that's, you know, the biggest promotion in the UK. So that would have been a great opportunity for him. It'll come back around for him, though. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, he's one of those guys that has, has get, that gets out there and makes those drives and um, makes the right connections, you know. Um, well, he had a, a, a and, great match a few weeks back at uh, Paradigm Pro Wrestling. Uh, really good yeah. match there. Yeah, definitely. And those are good connections to make, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good time for guys like like Sonico to get out there and really gain experience. Man, I'm going to ask you about a good friend of yours real quick. I mean, we just talked about Craig, who's also a good friend, uh, Proper yeah. Jam over there on Twitter at Proper Jam on Twitter. But uh, Craigie Waggy is what we call him. What is it? I call him Craigie Waggy. Craigie Waggy. Okay. We'll have to call him but out I, on that. Not many people will call it. He, he doesn't take that very well from other people. Oh, okay. Maybe I shouldn't call him that then. He's a pretty big fella. I don't, you know, I'm a smaller guy, older these days. <laughs> and he punches hard too. He, he punches really hard. No matter what, don't let him lie to you, but he punches really hard. So you're telling me he doesn't have a good working punch? He doesn't know what that means. <laughs> Oh man, that's funny. But anyway, man, yeah. uh, the other good. You know, you got you got Vinny V also, which is uh, you know, <laughs> Vince Verhyfe with Figure Four. Um, worked with him a little bit when he was getting into wrestling, and yeah, he's a lot like Craig. Uh, they don't understand how to pull them punches very well. <laughs> that might be the one thing I could actually do after faking my punch for the last forty years. Anyway, never mind. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm talking about uh, your other good friend, man, Jim Valley. It looks like the man's yeah. kicking out. He he's kind of bringing a comeback. He had a really great hairdo in a picture he just shared the other day. And uh, yeah. man, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Jim? And what do you know about uh, how he's doing, man? Um, the last update I got, which was actually earlier today, he's doing well. You know, it's it's a it's going to be a long recovery for that guy. Um, but he's used to it. You know, he's had. So many health issues the last, you know, six or seven years, and he's been so close to, you know, it's sad to say I'm, I'm a pretty blunt person. He there were he was close to death's door many times over the last, you know, the last three or four weeks. Um, there were literally times where we thought it was he was done, you know. Um, it, it, a lot of that information wasn't necessarily making it out publicly, but yeah, he, it was very touch and go there. It's, it's great to see him recovering like he is. He's been walking a little bit. He's been speaking at, you know, there was a, he did a, a little 
couple minutes on the radio, which was great. And uh, uh, his spirits are high. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a fighter. You know, it's 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 pretty cool to see how him. It's cool to see him make that recovery and doing so well for himself. And I'm so happy for him and his wife. And uh, I just can't wait to see him progress even more. I can't wait to see him back at, at a Defy show. Honestly, <laughs> I really want to see that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And he needs a standing O when people. He should be recognized, man. The the guy yeah. is a he's a Pacific Northwest treasure. He's not only you know just a wrestling you know, genius, you know, knows so much, you know, just like yourself, but you know, he's done a lot around here with the radio station or excuse me, TV stations and everything else. Yeah. And, and radio, you know, for a long time he worked for Cairo radio in Seattle radio. Yeah. Yeah. As a, yeah. One of their morning, um, news, news guys. And, uh, he, he was a, he worked in radio down in Oregon for a long time too. He even did a little bit of wrestling promoting and stuff mm-hmm. down there too. So, uh, yeah, he's been, been in the wrestling business a long time off and on, you know, and works with the figure four wrestling observer newsletter and radio and the cauliflower alley club. And, uh, yeah, so he, he's got his hands all over wrestling. When did you first meet that man? Um, also another guy kind of like Craig, where I met him over 20 years ago, <laughs> him and a guy by the name of Johnny Fairplay, <laughs> who is best known for like survivor yep. and uh you know some appearances on tna and things like that wrestling stuff they <laughs> yeah they started a wrestling promotion together down in portland um i would say 20 years ago 20 yeah probably 20 years ago now and i you know they contacted me to wrestle for them and i i wrestled for them and it was a lot of fun. It was a little different. It was called New Dimension Wrestling. It, it was a lot of fun, and um, that's where I first met Jim. Any uh, New Dimension there on YouTube? I I don't know. I, I haven't seen <laughs> any myself. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. You know, it's funny because like you would you wrestle you'd wrestle so much at different times that. You, you got tired of bringing a camera with you, you know, <laughs> and a lot of times that's how you recorded your own stuff is to bring your own camcorder or something. And sometimes you just were like, ah, I don't feel like bringing it today, you know, and that's how it went. So, well, but yeah, I'm sure there's some out there somewhere, some place. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was fun wrestling for Jim. And I've also had the opportunity to work with Jim in other capacities in wrestling too. Um, We've worked together a little bit on like the Wrestling Observer radio shows. Uh, I've been a guest with him on there. Mm-hmm. Um, we even did some commentary for a short-lived promotion that Dr. Luther was running, um, which was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, like like Craig, I've known Jim through wrestling for, geez, decades. Oh, man. Yeah. Let's see here, man. Uh Man, but thank, thank uh, who's ever you know, the, the the you know the the God or whoever it might be, the Almighty, who's ever running that man. But thanks uh, for uh, keeping Jim around, man. He, he's a good dude. Yeah, we got to pull back a little bit on the Jim Valley praise because he'll get a really big head if I praise <laughs> him too much. So should I'm we pull back? A little do you want to talk some crap about him real quick? 
no, no, I, I've already done that today. Some, but yeah, he, yeah. I, a lot of those guys, you don't want to praise them too much. They get a big head. All like right. Craig, you praise that guy way too much and it goes all to his ego. All right. Well, maybe we'll cut out some of that stuff about Jim, how we're yeah. praising him and stuff. And I'll put it in there. It's like that Jim's just a jerk. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Anyway, man, great for Jim. But anyway, man, let's move on here a little, just a little bit. Uh, you know, I told you about this a little bitty bit in the, uh, before we hit the button. It, yeah. Women's wrestling, 1942, here in the Pacific Northwest. Herb son, Herb son, Don took over at that point. Is that correct? Right there, anyway. Yeah, because what happened is Herb died. Okay, Herb yeah. died. So, Herb died. Herb died. <laughs> yeah, he'd been promoting um, Portland area for 25 years. Then he died, and his sons Don and Elton took over. Okay, so then Don started promoting some female wrestling. And it says on the Wikipedia page, which, you know, I never know what's right, what's wrong on there until I talk to people like yourself. Female wrestling was outlawed until yep, 1975. In tell us a little bit about that, as much yeah. as you can tell us anyway. Yeah, outlawed in Portland. Um, back then, the commission ruled the land. And a lot of times the commission had a vested interest in local promoters and promotions. And Don was... At the time, Don was in a bitter, like a bitter promotional rivalry. Um, the, him and his father, they had ran Eugene, Oregon, pretty consistently, and Portland, but they were still fighting for the territory with other promotions. Um, and a lot of times, these promoters would use their leverage with the local commissions to get rules changed and different things changed. And at that time. Um, Virgil Hamlin, who was the other promoter, was using women wrestlers a lot at the time to, in his territory, which was similar in size to Don's. Mildred, Bo Mildred Burke was a big card at the time, a big drawing card at the time. And I do know, you know, we had talked before the, uh, before the recording went to, you know, before the show took place. And I, when, when we were talking, I, we kind of remembered what had happened and he Virgil Hamlin had been using Mildred Burke. He'd had some successful shows throughout the territory, not necessarily in Portland, but that started causing issues and concerns with Don. So Don kind of like used his political power to outlaw women wrestlers in Portland. Um, women would still come out to the Northwest, but they would just stick to mostly Washington and Idaho and Montana and Utah and, and of course, British Columbia. Mm -hmm. And it was the women at the time would wrestle in troops where they would travel together. So they would travel in groups of like four or whatever. So they would come into town for a few weeks, a lot like the midget wrestlers of that era. And that's mm -hmm. what they were called back then was midget wrestlers. Mm -hmm. um, they would come into town, into a territory for two, three weeks, work all the towns, wrestle each other, maybe work a town twice, and then they would go on to the next territory. And for whatever reason, whatever issues Don had with that, he just didn't want women wrestlers coming into the territory. And so he never fought to change it back. Hmm. And it took until the 1970s for to change back. You know, Don was, Don gets a lot of praise for being a good promoter. And, you know, a lot of the praise is just, but he also 
he he also had a, a dark side to him too, hmm. and some of that was that he might not have preferred certain things, you know. And I, I don't know if he was necessarily a fan of women wrestlers. Hmm. Hmm. You know. Gotcha. 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 But uh, dude, uh, I was going to ask you also about Don Owens and another thing. It's kind of weird hearing what you just said going into now. What's up with this? Uh, you know, Don Owens has uh, been trying to get into the wrestling observer hall of fame. Well, yeah, that was one of the things that he's always been, he's been on the ballot for years now, but he's always been one of those promoters that has been kind of like on the fence. Um, a lot of people have been on the fence to vote him in because he was a small town promoter. Uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of presenting the historical truth of perspective. I, I, I like to, when I, when I talk about wrestling history, I like to put things into perspective and I don't like to do the WWE spectacular version of wrestling history. I like to do the realistic re- version of wrestling history mm-hmm. and get to the real meat and bones. The truth is Don ran his territory for an exceptionally long amount of time. For over 60 years, Don ran the Northwest. But it was a very small town territory. Most of his towns, most of his buildings would seat a couple thousand fans, which today that sounds like a lot. You know, you're wrestling in front of a couple thousand fans a night. In that era, that was not exceptionally successful. Mm. He didn't run any major markets. The major markets that he did have... He didn't service those markets properly. There were other promoters in the territory like a Harry Elliott who were far more successful for their short amount of times that they were promoting than Don was. And yes, a lot of successful wrestlers have come in and out in Portland. Um, but, you know, it was more like a small, almost a... I wouldn't call it a developmental territory because a lot of guys made good livings here. But, you know, it was a territory that you went to when you were young or you went to when you were old, Mm. you know, and and, and it's not a knock because it's a, it was a great territory. Don became rich from the territory. Um, you could make a good living wrestling in the Northwest for sure. Um, but I don't know. Okay. So I'll sound kind of hypocritical here because I did vote for Don Owen in the Hall of Fame this year because the longevity issue. But to give both sides of the argument, he was around forever, ran a successful territory forever, but I don't know if it was a Hall of Fame level of success at any period of time. Let me ask you this. Did he take care of the wrestlers that were there? Um, as far as, um, um, you know, compensating them very well for their, their, their wrestling. He always had a good reputation for paying talent a fair wage. (coughs) But whenever you hear stories like that, there will always be a flip side of the coin where you'll have wrestlers that were disgruntled or maybe they, they're, they have a fair, um, argument and say that they weren't handled properly and there's both of those. A lot of big name wrestlers love Don Owens because when they did wrestle in the area, they were treated fairly. 
But then there's wrestlers out there that felt that the territory wasn't very good. Hmm. So, you know, it depends who it is. Like Roddy Piper loved Don Owen and he loved the territory and he always spoke highly of it. Then you get a guy like uh, Austin Idol who was in the territory for a few weeks, didn't like it and doesn't care for it. So it just depends who you talk to. Wasn't there uh Brian Lee came here one time and lasted like one show, even like cut a weird promo on air and then took off? Yeah, but that was because of the commission at the time. Oh. He he yeah, he didn't have his proper license in at the time, so he wasn't allowed to wrestle. <laughs> That's funny. Because that just popped into my head when you're talking about things. I was like, I remember him cutting a weird promo one time. Yeah. <laughs> and he came in because he was he was close with the Harris twins who were oh, in yeah. town, you know, who were uh, featured at the time and Brian Adams. Oh, gotcha. Those guys, those four guys are good buddies or were good buddies when they were all alive. This episode recorded at the Bigfoot headquarters. This has been a Swagamore production production.